Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And, and we've got a guest, yeah. I jumped, we do. I jumped the gun. Yeah. She's Ma- your friend, Melanie so I'm going to let you introduce her. And it. I have known each other for, what, a couple of years now? Maybe cool. just even a year. Yeah. I met you at the last conference. Yay. Came she, her story fascinated me for a number of reasons, and so we're going to get into that today. Okay. So, uh, Melanie was also a member of a performance-based religion, the same one I was, and so we certainly have that in common. <laughs> Except you've been here in Arizona, right? You've lived here in Arizona for a number of years. Yeah, just for the past, we moved um, down in, up in Snowflake lived with there for six years and then we I moved down here but before that we lived um, in Utah and raised most of my raised my kids most of the years in Utah okay oh, where in Utah um, Logan ah. and Mapleton we built a house in Mapleton oh, for eight years Mapleton. And, and then worked up and down the Wasatch Front different jobs and different municipalities and found ourselves in Logan for 13 years and okay yeah Born and no. born and bred, right? Yeah. Yeah. LDS, okay. Yes. So what about family Ancestors. history background then? Yeah, how far back does your do your families go? Ancestors across the plains. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So my mother is a Hancock. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So very pedigreed I, name. Yeah. Yeah. Mosiah Lyman was so there's a lot of heritage there that I've that I really cherish and I love. Yes, absolutely. because those people were dedicated, hardworking. Those people were pioneers in every sense of the word, and believed they were doing all of yes. that for and Jesus, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And for good intentions, they felt like they were, you know, seeking for a higher, better, you know. Yeah, yeah I often of- say to Mormons who are finding their way out that. That's your family history. That's your oh, heritage. That's, that's your identity. You, even if you walk away from your faith, yeah. you can still own all of that, yes. right? That's oh, yes. still a huge part of who who you are. But <laughs> your identity, as far as faith, can change. Sure, my DNA has those traits. That you know, the the hardworking, the you know, being able to you know really dig into something and the follow-through and the dedication and just you the know perseverance that, and persistence. that integrity and that goodness that just comes from people who who are seeking who are seekers right. and who are willing to sacrifice at any level to accomplish a higher good yes. and that's that's internally bred into me but yes the identity that um, I identified with that has definitely shifted but I do not want I still hold on to those things that are in my DNA from right. my ancestors. So what was it like growing up in your family, um, LDS? Because I know there's a wide variety of level of commitment, involvement, so yeah. where, what was it like for you? 
So I'm the oldest of nine children. Okay. And um, there's my, I have aunts that were professional genealogists that have oh, wow. researched. I mean, I have journals, spiral bound and books, hard bound of so many ancestors and their lives and their, you know, different things. So as far as in the church, you know, my mom was, you know, into genealogy with all of her sisters who were those professional right. genealogists and her mother was the same thing when we'd go to grandma's house we'd come every summer and the tail was just covered with genealogy papers and then wow. I'll be over there pouring over them trying to find people and traveling to see you know so as far as being in the church and that was you don't know anything different I grew up in the church from generations mm -hmm. and I that's all I knew and you were faithful so you embraced it oh. with with everything that oh, you had every yes I yes and you married in so, the temple. Yeah, so we, and we, I even grew up in Missouri. So okay. um, I wasn't only, you know, just brought up in Utah. I was, I went to all my high school years in Missouri. We, you know, traveled around and saw what life was like outside of Utah. Right. And um, being in a high school that only had, you know, a handful of LDS people and um, what that was like. But we, you know, had family prayer, had scriptures every day. My mom was primary president. I mean, we served in all the, you know, so when I got married, I mean, I just kind of carried that on, carried that on through. Got married in the temple, yes, and... Where? Um, in Mesa. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So um, my dad, I went to BYU right out of high school and went to, went for two years between BYU and Ricks for a semester and and got to have that experience and so mission to your mission no oh, just, okay. just two, years. two years going to school at byu oh got it okay so um uh, that was a mission in and of itself in a different way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a mrs mission that's exactly what mrs. my parents Mr. told me mission. i have to say that's yeah he said you know what we're just he sold he sold some stuff so he'd have money to drive me to byu he said go find a good return missionary mm -hmm. and get married and so, so you did. And you I did. was exactly one of those. Okay. <laughs> early on, BYU, did you find him early on, or did you finish? No, no. No, I found him early on, and I'd gone to, I'd come to Mesa to work for the summer out of, you know, when I was out of school, and that's when I met, I met my return missionary. Okay. And. So at what point does your life start to take a spiritual turn? I just want to make the point that that's not an unusual pattern, I think, right? Yeah. Is that the woman goes out of high school to college to a BYU to a Mormon college and then looking for a husband and then yeah. getting married in the temple and then the pattern would be the husband typically finishes school. Yeah, and see, and I'm not, I'm of the older generation, I'm 55, so you have, I mean, that's back then. Everybody got married right out of high school. You didn't, I mean, you didn't go to school right. for, you know, four or five years before you got married. Back then, you, you got married. That was your goal, was to get married and to start a family. But still, I mean, what, how many years ago? Something like 13 years ago, I was teaching young women's, and I had 16 laurels in my class. And within one year, all 16 of them were Wait, married. Wait, what's a laurel? Sorry, I'm going to let my... Yeah, it's a, it's the girls who are seniors oh, in Mormonism. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so within one year of graduating from high school, every one of those yeah. girls 
had gotten married. So, and that was 13 years ago. That was only 13 years ago. So those patterns still exist in the church, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they certainly, yeah. Okay. So, um, so I went to BYU, got married and I, um, had eight children and I was a stay at home mom. I mean, there was things I did out of the home. I ran some businesses, you know, that I could do out of the home, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was for the most part a stay at home mom and I supported his career, love and his career and, and raised my family and loved it. In the church, had callings. I was primary president and served in all the auxiliaries, young women's and primary. And, and my, my husband then, mm-hmm. I'm single now. Okay. Um, so he was in bishoprics, several different bishoprics, the leadership callings. We right. did. We were all in, all yeah. in, yeah, in every sense of the word. Okay, so when did things? When did you start questioning? Well, you know, I don't know that I really questioned. It's just that I started to see, um, I started to see shifts that were happening within the church, inconsistencies mm-hmm. that I just thought that just doesn't make any sense. I taught. Um, I was the person. I grew up in my home with nine kids with a testimony of food storage because when we lived in Missouri, we lived off of food storage. Okay. I learned as one of the oldest children how to cook with food storage. We ate the big chunk TVP that looked like dog food and, you know, mm-hmm. dehydrated apples and the fruit mix and, you know, the different, I mean, that's how right. we, that's how we cooked for quite a, for two years. We lived off of just our food storage. So I came to appreciate it and I, you know, I didn't take it for granted. I was grateful for it. And that really shaped a part of my life because when I first got married, that was one of the first purchases that we made was our food storage. Right. And so um, one of the big first things that we did. And I just started teaching because that's how I had learned. I was the oldest and I learned how to cook and cook for the family with food storage. So one of the first things that I started to do when I first got married was, um, and in the church, was I taught food storage classes because hmm. I knew how to cook with food storage. And oh, that became yes. a theme for my <laughs> entire married life. <laughs> because once you started doing that, then it just kind of like went to now, now what other, you know, to solar cooking, to, you know, other different, you know, methods of cooking, to, you know, cooking with a Dutch oven and, you know, it was just self-sufficient living, how to do sure. a garden, right. how to, how to make my own cheese. And so you're both doing it and teaching it. Absolutely. That was a way of, that was my lifestyle. I cooked from scratch for all of my kids and I had a garden from the time when I was young. Um, Being in Missouri, we had a great garden and I carried that on. So that, it was just, I just kind of shifted the lifestyle I'd grown up in. An alternative, you know, you didn't have doctors available, you know, back in Missouri. We didn't live close to somewhere. So I just learned with all the alternative different types of things that way too. Right. Uh, Being self-sufficient with your health as far as that goes and with... So that just carried over into. So then what happened? That's a what happened positive within the part church? of Mormonism. I don't think everybody knows about. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the hardworking and so you know and self-sufficient. So I just taught all those different self-sufficient classes: the gardening, sprouting, and I just kept adding you know these different classes as I was doing it in my home. I would then teach it. Right. And that's just how you. That's just how you grow up in the church. Is once you, you know, become good at some skill, you. Pass it along. Offer it up. <laughs> and you pass it along, yeah. 
So then what happened? Did something change? Because you were kind of talking well, about so that in conjunction of, of questioning or things changing. So as I started teaching some of these classes, the things that would come up would be, like you could go into one stake, they would have a preparedness fair. You could go into the stake and I would be presenting at the preparedness fair, the different classes. Okay. And so then, but you would see the bishop or the stake president get behind that and yeah, come in and offer up the stake building and let people come to the class and you know if you have resources that they can take advantage of or a group order that you want to do like you know that's great and but then you'd have some of them that would go completely the opposite direction oh, okay you know what we can't buy and sell inside the church and that is a rule but at the same time you can have christmas in october every single homemaking year and do etched glass pans and you know picture frames and all kind, but, but, and you can come and bring money for those crafts that you're doing all day long on a super Saturday weekend and nobody lifts an eyebrow. Right. But then you can't come in and, and help everybody do a group order for something that everybody's trying to, that would, you know, benefit right. their, okay. do you see? So I just started to see inconsistencies this uh -huh. way yeah. from bishop to bishop. Yeah. And I thought, why, why Wait, is these there... guys are all called by the same revelation. Yeah. Under why the same authority. There... <laughs> such a issue sometimes and we have to be so careful that we can't you know and we can't present it this way we have to be outside the church to do our our booth in the parking lot rather than or beyond the sidewalk and the, you know, it just became mm. such a kind of a a circus or, or hoops to jump through in order to make it work for some of the classes that we were teaching which were recommended by the stake and were wanted by the stake you know the relief society president and everything else but yet you could have all kinds of buying and selling and trading going on. <laughs> so what did that trigger then? With so what other... sort of questions so did that it raise? Just, it started to make me feel like, why is, why is there, it's just someone's opinion. It's really not doctrine. There's traditions that we do that aren't necessarily based in doctrine. So then that started to just kind of, it's more, okay, so this isn't really a doctrine or something <laughs> that's written in stone. This really is just an opinion then. And so I started to have to separate Okay, this is one bishop's opinion. Okay, there's they're going to treat it differently. Maybe he doesn't like food storage and he's not supportive of it. So he's going to, you know. Right. So I started to differentiate things in the church as traditions and actually foundational gospel. Okay. So how does that progress then? Because that doesn't so, seem like that in and of itself would be enough to really well, but push it, you to start doubting or moving out so i'm guessing oh there had to God be more uses some interesting things <laughs> that's true I, I think food storage is, this is the first time i've heard food storage as a brew do this but this is interesting <laughs> so you know it i also started to see how people would um once they you know once they gain a testimony of one thing then it just kind of moves into something else so um i so give me an example. Okay, so once somebody got a testimony of maybe food storage, they would start studying about the word of wisdom. Okay. On eating certain things or wheat for man or different things. So, so then they would go to the scriptures and start studying the scripture, but then they would see that there was, well, wait a second, I can I'm eating fruit in the season thereof. Meat only when when oh, it's only in times of scarce or winter in times of famine, was, right? famine and winter. Like mm -hmm. And so then you start to see, oh well, 
Okay, so the only thing that we really care about, though, with the Word of Wisdom is just the coffee and tea, or should we care about these other things, too? So then I started to see these inconsistencies. Yeah. So it's more tradition that we don't have. The coffee and the tea, it's really, because that's not written in there, but it's written in there about the meat, and it's written in there about <laughs> right. the fruit in the season right. thereof. Right. And so we do Do we so, follow our scriptures right. to the letter, so or do we, we not? So when you answer the Temple Recommend question of, do you follow the Word of Wisdom? Well... I don't drink coffee and tea. They're not mentioned, but I do, you know. Mm -hmm. So is this tradition or is this scripture? Actually, foundational scripture. I went one time and didn't eat meat for six months because I had gone in and read that and went, oh, I need to be following. Right. DNC 180 or 89, right? And I did that too, trying to be more, more thorough in my. In my in your practical dis- commitment yeah. towards mm-hmm. you know that, and I had mm-hmm. I did the same thing you did. I thought, well, you know what? If I want the full blessings of this word of wisdom, I need to try and follow this more. You know, align myself with what it says to do, so that I can have the full scope of the blessings from that. And so, but I started to so it's little things like that right. that I started to see as tradition and scripture. Okay. And that's how you can so, live with that, what you might now see as hypocrisy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, at this point, you're being willing to question, at least look at things objectively. But I could sort it out in my mind. I right. made those two categories. And, and then so. you run into something that can't be easily sorted, I'm assuming. Yeah. And that was? Well... Oh, now, are you talking to your my. husband about any of these things? This is like yeah. Well, yes. At some when I was doing my classes and stuff, he was in the bishopric, and okay. so some of those things we would lightly discuss, and there was discussions going on. But it's like you know, don't. I'm in the bishopric. Don't be I'm making like, well, waves. This is, don't. Well, this is. <laughs> I'm talking to him about a bishop in another ward that wouldn't, you know. But let's. It, it was just kind of. I would. It was just a carefully, a carefully guarded. Uh, conversation that we didn't go really deep into because you know you can't talk negatively about church leadership and the bishops were not all the same and so it was kind of hard to work with some and some were easier to work with so but you know so there was that's fine it was just you want to support the priest yeah you want to support the priesthood and be so you've got these initial questions but what else happens? Is there anything that kind of ups the ante on the seriousness of the questioning? Stuff that you started to see that you go, you know what? This just isn't right. This is even more important than food storage. and Yeah, yeah. So as I started to just study more and get into the doctrine of the church with the word of wisdom and the different things, I also started, you know, in studying the, the ensign, the different conference talks that you're supposed to study right. every, every six months. I be, and I was reading some other books and stuff. I became frustrated that um, Joseph Smith, when he had his spiritual experience with the first vision, and he was able to write it down in black and white, and it's now printed for the whole world to read. I was frustrated that that as I read through, you know, conference talks and everything, it seemed like there was just carefully worded, almost scripted descriptions of, or not even a description of. Um, their experience was supposedly, you know, the divine and being able to, and if they're a witness of him, I kept waiting and waiting. And every conference I'd be looking forward to hearing 
I want to hear their personal experience because I want that for myself. Right. These are and apostles to, and prophets. Right. They're communing with God supposedly. Right. So tell me who he is and what he does I and know. what he wants. And how did you get to that point in your life yeah. where that allowed that experience to happen for you? I wanted to know their process of getting to that. And I wanted them to share like Joseph Smith had done there. But they would always just say, you know, they would couch it in terms of it's too sacred. Or, you know, we don't speak of it in public. And I'm thinking, but this is conference. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that what you're supposed to be training us to do or preparing us? And I just became frustrated every conference. I remember just sitting on the edge of my seat wanting to hear and just desiring to f feel and hear their testimony mm. of Jesus Christ. Not just in a circle, circular way, right. but a real Direct, direct yeah, experience. Looking to know him, right? Yes, and I wanted that experience for myself, but I needed to know that they had had that too. And I was, and I just came away frustrated, feeling like, well, I guess he sort of said, but sort of, not really described. So, a witness of his name? I'm like, a witness of his name? Like, what? What, is, what does that mean? That? <laughs> yeah. So I just started, it started to frustrate me that. And then also, Building of City Creek. Okay. I just that's the that mall was, yeah. downtown there was Salt Lake. So that the Mormon much church that went that jarred that. a lot of people in the system. You know, and well, I had friends and sons who were going on missions to, and my friends' sons were going to missions to places they don't even have clean drinking water. Yeah. And it cost a total of two hundred dollars in places in Africa to bring in. The equipment, the people and everything, and plant, right. bring Dig in well, clean bring water in, right. next to, you know, 10 feet away, please, from the watering hole for the cows. And that they were drinking water out of, you know, places where cows and cattle drank. Yeah. And it's and just so just sad. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a second, but we are building City Creek and the places that are in there to shop at, only 1% of, even the <laughs> church can shop. I mean... It's just so beyond. Right. And so, you know, it was just, it just felt opulent. It just felt mm -hmm. overdone on so mm -hmm. many different levels. When there's so many people that are suffering in the world, and there just seemed to be an inconsistency with the message of love and hope and and service towards, you know, and would Christ, right. seriously, when if he were here, would that be what he was spending his time and money on? Was... <laughs> Right. A mall, I just, I, it just seemed so incongruent to yeah. me. So as an outsider, I'm going to ask this question because I've never been a member of the Mormon Church or really any other performance-based religious group. So if this is totally off the wall or wrong, correct me. But as an outsider, is it that as you look at that, you start to maybe question the spirit behind the revelation or what is guiding? So here are people who are claiming to be guided by the Holy Spirit of God right. to do the will of God for the people of God. Uh, that's what leadership, and yet these things are happening. So does that trigger in you a? So are they guess, really being? I guess on some level you're right. It did. It made me question why would they be doing that? Because here I was with my my ex, who was in the bishopric at the time, mm -hmm. but we were now living in up in snowflake at the so some of this stuff really started to settle become unsettling to me because up there there's a lot of people that are just in desperate need yeah. it's not a affluent you know community right. up there like it was in utah where i 
you know, up in Logan or even all the different, you know, places up and down the Wasatch Front, you come outside of Utah to some of these places that are just small. And these people are really, I mean, there's They're lots of jobs. They are really, yes, they need, yeah. they can't even put food on the table. And I lived around people that I would take food to all the time. I would share my food storage with. I would, you know, and I thought these people can't afford to do that. Why are we spending money on something like City Creek when these people can't even afford to pay tithing, but they have to pay tithing yeah. to get help? Mm -hmm. I, but that's what my tithing is for. And so I started to have this struggle with tithing because oh, I didn't want it sure. going to City Creek. I wanted it really going to the people that needed it in my community that I knew. And personally. you wanted to be able to determine And that. I'm like, my my tithing should be going to the poor, the mm -hmm. widow, the needy. Mm -hmm. Right. And well, that's a scripture. I saw <laughs> this huge chasm between where I felt like I needed my, I wanted my tithing to go to and where, you know, and they'll say, you know, that that was built with other funds, but. So do you think that's a switch in the Mormon church or or was it that you all of a sudden began to see? I just think I started were? to see, you know, some real inconsistencies in that what had was been coming there all out. Along. Yes, that had been there all along and that was just in Yeah. I started so where, so where this is so as, as you're struggling with the inconsistencies, um where does this go and we're really close to being out of time so obviously we need to do a part two with you because we're not i feel like we're not even into some of the really cool stuff of your story based on a few things that lynn has told me yes okay yeah and the whole transition out at this point there's a lot of cracks in the foundation but you're still there oh um, no i'm still i'm still in it's just that i was frustrated with some of the things that were going on okay yeah. so stay tuned okay. for the rest of the story um, we will be back with a Melanie part two and yeah this story gets interesting so you'll definitely want to hear the second okay so what parts do we want to hit all right well let's say goodbye to the podcast audience my podcast audience we love you guys grace and peace grace and catch peace. you next time yeah. thank you for listening to the unveiling grace podcast Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.